Welcome to If the Walls Could Talk, a series of conversations about smart buildings, connecting key thinkers in the property world with each other and you. I'm Ari Berendrecht, founder and CEO of Wired Score, a certification company dedicated to making the world's buildings smarter and better connected so that people like you and I can communicate, collaborate, and innovate seamlessly. In this series, we're going to explore what the term smart building actually means in a practical manner and how to create a smart building that works. Wired Score assesses and certifies digital connectivity and smart tech in all kinds of different buildings. We work with clients all over the world, which gives us a unique view of the pressing issues within the industry. In this series, we'll cover topics like user-first design, technology implementation, and smart sustainability, talking to a range of experts in each one. Our first topic starts right at the beginning and asks, how do you go about creating a smart building? And our conversation today is with John Gilbert, COO of Rudin Management Company, the major New York commercial landlord, and one of the very first adopters of Wired Score back in 2013 when we launched. Welcome, John. Good to see you. Thank you for joining us. How are you? All well, Ari. How, you, how have you been? I've been doing really well. I'm excited to, uh, to chat with you, and thanks for sharing your expertise with us. I thought we'd get started uh, at, the, at the basics. If you could just talk a little bit about about Root and Management Company to kind of set context and a little bit about your background. Sure, the, the Root and family has uh, owned and operated uh, real estate in New York City for over 100 years. Uh, the family first purchased their first piece of dirt. It was a, a brownstone in the East 50s, still own, owns that, that dirt and has taken that, that brownstone and expanded it into uh, privately owned almost 15 million square feet of office and residential. And as I understand it, back in the 90s, one of your assets was was basically the first smart building in the city, is one of the first to be properly wired in the way we would think about today, uh, but very far ahead of the curve. Could you talk a little bit about 55 Broad and kind of what you did back in the mid 90s to, to make that building what it is? We were the first at 55 Broad Street to begin to look at how do you deliver bandwidth and optical fiber directly to the desktop? And how do you ultimately bring multiple carriers into a building and allow them to feed that entire building? And then ultimately, how do we uh, maintain our future proof of building by allowing this infrastructure to ultimately uh, change with with time and, and meet the test of time? And what we did was we actually put in carrier neutral risers that were owned by the building that accomplished all three of those things. Carriers got a just plug in infrastructure. The, our tenants got a, a multiple choice of carriers and we got to sleep at night knowing that we weren't going to have spaghetti in our, in our vertical risers. It's, it's fascinating. I mean, you're truly were decade, decade plus ahead of the curve. I think on that, what, what do you think you saw in the mid nineties that other landlords didn't? Congress was basically saying, listen, we're blowing up the baby bells. Ma Bell, we already blew up. There's going to be all these different companies that are going to want to get into your building and you have to let them all in. We're like, wait a minute, time out. If everybody comes into our buildings and runs their own wires, I got no vertical riser capacity. So we turned that upside down in its head and said, listen, we're going to provide that infrastructure. We're going to build it and own it. And we're either going to sell it or lease it to the carriers. I don't know how you've managed to do this, but somehow in your uh, spare time, you founded a company called Prescriptive Data 
Um, and I thought that might be useful context for the audience to, to hear a little bit about your work uh, on Nantum and prescriptive data and, and what that is. In 2009, Con Edison, our local utility here in New York, asked us to be the commercial office Petri dish for something called the Smart Grid Demonstration Project. And when we walked into our first meeting, they had up on the screen what was going on with the grid right before the lights went out in that fateful August day of 2003, when 55 million people lost power. They posed a really interesting question to us, which was, we Con Ed had a 45 second early warning that something bad was gonna happen. We wanna give you, Rudin, and your friendly and unfriendly competitors at least 30 seconds of that early warning. Do you want it? We're like, absolutely. We can program our elevators, you give us the signal, elevator goes to the nearest floor, people get let out, lights still go off, but no one's stuck in a, in a dark elevator shaft uh, when there's no power in the city of New York. Two thumbs up. You know, as, and, and as we looked at that, we said, there's no way in heck that I'm gonna be able to respond in 30 seconds with my existing software and hardware infrastructure. And what we really needed was an operating system that allowed us to take external data mix it with our internal data, and then predict and then prescribe, that's why the company's called prescriptive data, prescribe what we should be doing. So as we looked at, at what was needed, what really was needed was a building's brain. And you know, buildings have always had a heart, engine room, boiler room. Now they have a brain, Nantum. Final frontier, central nervous system. How many sensors? Where are the sensors? Are they wired? Are they wireless? And ultimately, rather than dying a death of multiple dashboards, as we were seeing in terms of all these point solutions that were coming at us, we said, no, what we need is a single integrated platform allowing all the data that the building is generating, as well as external data, whether it's weather, whether it's feeds from, from other entities, to live in a, in a lake, a data lake, that would then allow us to blow up those silos where that data lived and ultimately create correlations that created value. For instance, occupancy data influencing fan speed, weather data influencing startup times, uh, mm -hmm. data in terms of, of water consumption that can ultimately identify leaks and, and predict leaks and ultimately identify where they are and go after and fix them. Everything that we were doing in, from, in an analog world now suddenly became digitized so that we could take that data, make it useful, and then ultimately enhance the experience that our tenants were, were having. Taking a step back, there's a lot of reasons why, why uh, landlords pursue smart technology. What is the why for you? Like, why, why care about this? Is it about cost savings? Is it about tenant experience? Is it about the environment? Um, like, what, what is the hierarchy of, of motivations for, for you and Rudin Management? To me, the real issue here is that it's it's about the environment, so the E and ESG. It's about ultimately having real estate that is relevant and, and attractive in a very competitive world. And three, it's ultimately about taking care of our existing customers so that, that the experience that they have as a company and that their employees have as individuals is top shelf. Nobody can mm -hmm. touch it. So it's really all of those pieces. It's caring about the, your community and the environment. It's ultimately caring about your customers, and it's ultimately you know doing the right thing from a from a competitive standpoint by using as little energy as we possibly can to create a level of comfort that people are going to care about. 
And, and how often do you find that those motivations are, run into conflict with one another where doing the right thing for the environment um, costs extra money and, and in time and effort and in pain to, to change process or implement technology? More times than not, those conflicts disappear ultimately when you do the right thing. You know, I think one of the conflicts that we have right now in terms of indoor air quality with COVID is that people want to exchange that air as quickly as they possibly can. There's an energy aspect to that where we're going to have to use more energy ultimately to move that air as quickly as possible, bring in more outside air, which then has to be conditioned, either heated or cooled. So there are conflicts, but I think at the end of the day, if you keep your eye on the prize and you really focus on what's important and what's right, you, it, it all works out. Going from zero to one is the hardest part. Like taking that very first step on a smart journey um, is, is like in gathering that momentum is feels like an impossibility. How would you advise other owners and landlords uh, on how to start this journey? How do they start thinking about uh, uh, creating a smart building and, and specifically with existing assets, not ground up development? How do you kind of start thinking about what to do? when you look at software companies, it's all about failing fast, right? When you say fail fast to a real estate company, they're like, oh my God, no, I'm not, I can't fail at all. But, but you can within babies, the baby steps that you're taking. And as long as you create the boundaries within which you are running and that building, you can fail fast. So my advice is start slow, realize that the data that you collect every single day is hugely valuable ultimately figure out ways to grab that data, to, to create a home for that data, how you organize that data, and then ultimately see what correlations between data sets that never ever talked to each other before that can be used to create value within your portfolios. I think it makes a lot of sense, like starting with the problems that you wanna solve or in smart score language, we say the outcomes that you want to target for your building. Uh, and then there's this, this next phase where you then need to uh, navigate this complex world of tech solutions. How do you navigate that space uh, without driving yourself crazy and, and make the right decisions with technology that you you bring into your buildings? You know, I start every meeting with a new prop tech company that we meet with, with a very simple question. What's the problem you're trying to solve? If you can't explain what that problem is, if you don't know what that problem is, if it's a problem that I don't think is relevant or I care about, short meeting. Thank you very much. Nice knowing you. If it's a problem that we're grappling with and that we're trying to solve, I'm all ears. So that 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 the, the moment you begin to understand that this is about problem solving, that this is about digitizing an, an analog, a previously you know analog decision making process you're ahead of the game. But of course, everything at some point comes down to what's the cost and how to think about ROI. Uh, how do you kind of advise others to, to do that calculation, um, particularly when there's tangible you know, financial ROI, but all of these other factors that motivate you to implement smart building technology? Like, like when the rubber hits the road, how are you thinking about cost and ROI? It costs 10 cents a foot and I'm saving 55 cents a foot. So the, the value question is, are you willing to spend 10 cents to save 55 cents? I think everybody would say yes. So then the issue becomes, okay, well, well how do I enable that? 
What are the sensors that I have to put in? If, if they're battery operated, I can put them anywhere and I'm immediately feeding data back into my data lake that's ultimately going to use you know, machine learning algorithms and artificial intelligence to ultimately identify trends within our buildings, identify anomalies when those trends get out of whack, and then ultimately shrink uh, our operational day so that we're using less less energy because I know exactly when the right time to start my engines are and I know exactly in, later in the day when I can shut them off and then ride the thermal inertia of the building. You touched on on landlords kind of needing to take up startup mentality and in, in, in failing fast and learning. Uh, is there any stories, maybe one story you want to share about something that you got wrong on your smart journey and what you've learned from it that you could you could kind of share with the audience? Well, I think that, you know, the original creation of, of a operating system for the built environment, and we hired an outside firm to come in and build it. The original name was DBOSS. It stood for Digital Building Operating System. You know, we had a lot, bunch of our software friends look at it. They said, great idea, lousy software, it won't scale. And the, the key thing about software, it's got to scale and scale quickly. So what you have to do is you've got to blow it up and start anew. And that wasn't an easy thing to hear at the time, but it was exactly the right advice. You know, it's kind of like somebody telling you that your firstborn child is a lousy athlete and a really, you know, bad student. Um, you know, you, you don't like it when you hear that. And yet you realize, OK, I got to get that. I've got to get a, stu you know, a tutor and we're going to go out jogging every night. When my parents watch this and they hear you talking about the bad athlete analogy, they'll be nodding right along. All right, John. Well, thank you very much. Uh, this has been super interesting chatting, and I have no doubt this conversation will help other landlords learn uh, from your journey and your strategy, as well as giving tech solution providers and consultants in, in the broader ecosystem insight into how leading landlords like, like Rudin operate. Um, so thank you. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe to If the Walls Could Talk using your usual podcast provider. And thanks for listening.